and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder and CEO of Kat Berkey Skincare, Kat Berkey. Kat grew up with an intricate understanding of nutrition and of overall health, but beauty was an industry she never pictured herself working in. In fact, it more or less happened by accident. Kat had studied healthcare law and health policy at university and was working very happily in the industry, occasionally picking up passion projects in interior design just as a creative outlet. Upon completing an interior for her brother-in-law, she decided she wanted to sign off the project with a signature scent. She met with some people who worked in the beauty industry creating hand batches and they helped her to create a candle. The home fragrance became so popular amongst those who had smelled it that it was suggested to Kat that she should create a body lotion with the same scent. This prompted Kat to start looking into formulation science and the team who had helped Kat create that very first candle went on to become the very first formulators of Kat Berkey Skincare. Kat Berkey Skincare launched into Henry Bendel in New York City in August 2013 with the first of its kind cold press skincare. The subsequent four years saw the brand launch into Nordstrom, Bloomingdale's, Neiman Marcus and Mecca here in Australia. And in 2023, Kat Berkey Skincare is a truly global brand. In this conversation, Kat shares what she had to fight to put extra money towards when her namesake business was in its infancy, how her earliest memories have shaped the brand she runs today, and why you don't need to say yes to everything. I understand that your mother was really passionate about health and wellness and nutrition. So that was a really big part of your childhood. So I'd love to start there. What is your very earliest memory of beauty? Um, I think it was really how she lived, you know, our lifestyle, which I'm the youngest of four. She's She grew up in California her whole life. Um, I actually grew up on the, I'm the only one that was born on the East Coast, mm-hmm. kind of like you're in Melbourne and Sydney. Yes. <laughs> I grew up like in Melbourne, (laughs) Um, but she had that spirit about her. And it was actually that time period too, where, you know, kind of post hippies and all that were coming about and she just loved it and, you know, studied and read nutrition, nutrition books being absolutely everywhere, taking trips with her like daily to, you know, whole health centers actually and like my treats were like carob not chocolate and I was fine with it making her own yogurt things like that and I had no idea obviously I was a little girl so I had no idea that that was kind of ahead of its time in a way or that would impact me so much so it's kind of interesting to look back you know how you impact your children whether you mean to or not um good and bad right (laughs) But uh, so those are my uh, beauty. I mean, she was not um, I didn't grow up like she wasn't a makeup person, beautiful, natural, good bone structure. She was just lucky and lived a healthy lifestyle. And just, you know, hers was much more intellectual, like reading stuff and constantly trying to figure things out and talking to me like because we were really, really super close. So talking to me about absolutely all of those things um, from an early age. 
So you had an early understanding of nutrition, I suppose, given that upbringing, but was it something that you were interested in? Is it a space that you saw yourself one day kind of working in, in some capacity? Um, I think like most people, I was kind of all over the place. You know, I, I loved art. <laughs> so was it going to be art or was it going to be psychology? So when I first went to school, I was just lucky that I went to a school that had nutrition as an option. Um, it really was that more so. And I think obviously probably my background led me to be interested. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really surprised actually when I was taking nutrition courses, how much, um, chemistry and physiology and like all of a sudden I'm like because I didn't necessarily at the beginning sign up for that yep (laughs) it's a lot of that you studied healthcare law and health policy specializing in epidemiology and food related diseases I it's hysterical that none of us knew the word epidemiology until about three (laughs) years ago and now it just rolls right off the tongue yes Yes, it became a big word in a bad way, actually. <laughs> yeah. What led you to that space? What kind of career goals were you walk- working towards? It was always interesting. It was kind of like following my gut, you know, literally. Yes. Um, but also, um, you know, what I knew what I didn't want more than I knew what I wanted, actually, for sure. Like I knew health oriented, for sure, when I first went taking classes in health in healthcare in law school um, and working actually in healthcare law and representing and, you know, cases, I knew I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I knew that was not for me. I really wanted more policy oriented and more big picture. So I just kind of kept following and following. And um, after my second year and working, you know, with attorneys and things, I thought I knew that I, I wanted to pick up an, some kind of degree that would take me to another place. So within the same sphere. So that's when I pick up the master's degree um, to really go more into health policy because there's so much, um, even now, uh, there's just so much uh, almost like, uh, you know, managed care and big, big pharma and that kind of stuff kind of taking over. And I was reading all those cases and how do we, not go there? How do we not be manipulated by, you know, whatever the big financial pockets are? And that goes even back to, you know, the commercials of like bad food, like it's all commercialized and it's all for someone. So for me, it was very much like, what are those alternatives to to people? Because that is, if you look at all the major disease buckets, that is almost all related to food. So uh, cancer has an element, diabetes for sure, heart disease for sure. There's so much that can be learned about um, nutrition in that way to keep these, keep people healthy, A, um, but, uh, you know, to, to really keep people healthy, yeah, for the most part. So where to from there? I know that you worked in disease management for a time. I would love to hear more about your I guess, career trajectory before you entered the skin space? <laughs> so that was um, that was a really good time period because everything was done, <laughs> all the stress, and I could really kind of figure out where I wanted to take this. And these were, I was actually, believe it or not, working for managed care companies, um, but putting programs into, for them, it's to keep people healthy so they don't have to spend money on people mm-hmm. <laughs> when they're not well. Um, but for me and for the whole disease management group, it's keeping people healthy and putting those programs into place and 
And what does that look like, you know, studying, um, you know, different regions of either here or the world? What do they do that keeps people healthy? What do they not do? You know, really trying to figure out how do we um, implement programs to kind of combat what eventually will be a disease state for somebody. Education's number one in that area. I know that obviously nutrition was everything to you, but I've heard you say in interviews that you didn't have that much of an interest in topical skincare until you really started looking at the skin as an organ. What led you to moving into that beauty space? I mean, I, I, I don't know why, but I think it's the same reason why nobody really is looking. It's, it's, it's opening up another door of how you look at something. So to me, I mean, I wasn't ever really in beauty at all. I mean, besides an occasional product I would pick up, but even that I wasn't like a product person because mm-hmm. um, I was too, doing other things, I guess. I don't know. But, um, but it was really interesting to me. I learned from people who were making skincare and these were very like homemade batches, right? It was like, it was, it, I, I'm so fortunate that I didn't go into like a big lab and like, cause I would have probably not triggered off what mm-hmm. it triggered off. But I was thinking how interesting that is. This isn't, and also by the way, I was having skin. I have, you know, constantly type A personality, like constantly going, never taking care of myself, even like cues my body were sending me, even with my knowledge, um, not, caring about me. Um, and I was in your skin is this organ on the outside that tells you things. So you get hives when you're allergic to something. It's like, it's, it gets, we don't get to see what the inside stuff is doing, but it's Mm -hmm. always kind of communicating with you. Um, and mine certainly was at that point. So it was something I was kind of interested in as well from my own personal, um, point of view. And, uh, but it's pretty darn fascinating if you think about it, that you can actually put in all of these topical, healthy things that I know helps us on the inside actually. And there is differences, obviously, than how our insides operate and how our outside organ, our outside organ is created to keep things out, (laughs) keep us protected, all of these other organs protected. Um, So you have a barrier to deal with, right? So you have absorption, you have inflammation, you have all these things, which is very similar to um, your digestion on the inside. That that was just incredibly fascinating to me when I started to put those puzzle pieces together and think about it for my own needs at that time. And that was around um, 2011. And uh, it took me from 2000, so like around 2011, I started to talk to people about it. like is this something I can do is this something that's like it seems so far out but incredibly interesting to me and then by 2013 so then like by 2013 we started to talk to people you know to help because I didn't have any beauty world experience whatsoever so can I get some help there because I don't know anything about it I just know about this insular world that I'm creating so um by 2013, we launched, and that included the vitamin C cream. And, you know, then it's been still learning along the way, obviously, but uh, learning different things now. Let's talk about that, I guess, 2011 to 2013. By my understanding, somewhere in there you launched a fragrance and were then asked to put that fragrance into a body lotion and then that's when you started to look into formulation science can you talk that's me how through? i met them yeah there you go so, how did that come about yes 
that was a whole side project. So I was actually, I, I love design, house design, and I just love it. And I do that as my creative outlet. I had just had a baby around that time. So I was actually helping. So I had just um, created a house for my brother-in-law, such a long story. <laughs> and in we've that, got all the time I, in the world. Okay, well then, so with that, I wanted to, I did the whole house, and then someone's like, can I put the house on this one show, can I, and the house was like on Bova. So, as I have my other career, and this was actually before 2011 um, at this point, so I um, wanted to leave behind like a beautiful candle fragrance, but I didn't want chemicals in my candle, um, because I'm extremely sensitive to smells and chemical. Like I just like, I have like this kind of canary in a coal mine personality where I pick up on that, like a really cheap carpet will make me sick to my stomach. I'm not kidding. So, um, I found people who made that and those were the people who were doing hand batches. So that's, that is such a side long story, but that is the truth of how I got to the formulators. So then you got the, to the formulators. formulators. And yeah, then at that was, point, you're like, I could potentially start a brand here. Absolutely. That's exactly that. Yep. <laughs> Love it. I read as well that the brand was originally called Raw Beauty. How did you physically go about getting this brand off the ground? How did you find the right team? How did you decide which products that you would launch the range with? How did you source packaging? There are so many steps that go into bringing a brand to life? Yeah. So, um, I'm trying to remember the packaging. That's a really good question. I'm not sure I totally remember it. I don't, I don't recall totally, but, um, as far as getting it to market, I knew I had no clue at all. So I met with a person who was a kind of a marketing person. I don't recall at all how I found her. Um, I do know she went on and they have a really big brand right now. So, um, but we worked together and she really was just kind of like my brainstorming, like, is this something I can do? You know, for instance, how is raw beauty? Does that sound okay? Like, does it like, you know, um, so really that kind of thing. And maybe she had something to do with packaging. I, I probably, I would say then, um, then I met with someone who actually, so <laughs> it's like, it's all people, right? It's all people helping people. Um, my husband actually reached out to someone who started a really, really big company, and he gave us the name of someone who actually really helps brands get into stores and that kind of thing. So met with her. She was really great, um, especially in dealing with us who have no idea on anything. <laughs> she was extremely patient. Um, and then what our first uh, trial was with Henry Bendels in New York. And at that time, I mean, they don't exist anymore, but it was a great, great, like lots of, you know, editors would go there. And it was just like this crazy, great atmosphere, which was shocking for me, never being in any of that <laughs> to, to start in. But what was nice about them is that you could start with um, on consignment. So they would test you, which was actually a really good test for yourself. And then um, and then we were on our own and then, you know, we started to hire people and um, you know, reach out to other buyers and, you know, all, all of the stuff that you, you have to do to grow. I mean, it just, it really is interesting. <laughs> it's, it's quite fascinating how that happens, but, uh, it's a lot of work. So that was 
August 2013 that you launched the brand into Henry Bendel. Doing yeah. something so new, your cold pressing technology, for example, the first of its kind, doing something so new, did it present any challenges when you were pitching to retailers initially? Because obviously there's a huge education piece that has to come along with being first to market with something. Absolutely. You're, I mean, it, and I didn't know that, um, but maybe it's a good thing. Um, I so I had the wherewithal at least to know that I was going to where I could put extra money into would be someone in store teaching people. So that was like, you know, everyone told me no, because you don't have any sales. And I'm like, but how am I going to sell if I don't do that? So mm-hmm. at least I did that. Um, and then uh, you asked another really good question on that. What was I going to say? Um, oh, so another part of that was just at that time, not even at that time, like a, like fast forward a year from there, everyone was talking about natural, 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 natural. And I'm like, it's not about natural. Natural is wonderful, but there's so much more to the story. It's in Oregon. We're feeding it. It's health. It's how do these nutrients work together? How does our how do these nutrients work together? How do they get absorbed? How do we bring down inflammation? Like So I was like, no, like you can say that if you want, if that makes you feel better, but that's not where we've got much more to say than that. So I, I fought that battle for like maybe the first five years because that's people weren't putting the other aspect together. It was either that or this, right? Because it was so new. Things were mm-hmm. so evolving and changing. And I honestly think, um, COVID helped a lot to get people to start listening and, and thinking differently about our bodies and healing. And so I think for our messaging, that's when things actually really took off for us because I think people were ready to hear a lot of that, um, of what we were saying with that. Well, on that education piece, this is a big question, but in as much or as little detail as you wish, why cold pressed ingredients? Why is this important? And what can these ingredients do for the skin? Um, well, there's a lot of things. First of all, overheating. So, okay. So number one is it helps with absorption. So one of the litmus tests for me always on a quality of a product is how quickly does it absorb? Because if it's not absorbing your body's like, what is this? And that means you're not getting, not only is your body saying, what is this? I don't recognize this. I can't take this in, but you're not taking in anything. You're not taking any, like, let's say you have the most incredible ingredients in it and you can't absorb it. It doesn't matter. So cold processing and cold pressing helps with that. And number two is it keeps um, the integrity higher. So the, the efficacy of the particular ingredients are going to be higher if they're not cooked to smithereens. <laughs> so what came next? I know that in the years following that launch, the brand expanded into Nordstrom, Bloomingdale's, Neiman Marcus. How long did that expansion process take? Um, I think by seven, by 2017, we had, um, pretty good distribution. Um, we were also going international in 17. So I would say that was a good four years to really get, um, like a decent (laughs) distribution going. And then, then once you have that, it's a whole nother level. So then it's growing and having a executive team that can actually help you grow, help you with the marketing, help help you with the planning, demand planning, all of that kind of stuff. So then that had to like, like quickly start. So then that's like like the next phase of growth. Um, 
So which I do feel is different than you. So that was basically, so then that next phase of where you kind of have to like figure out um, wider distribution and, uh, you know, <laughs> much greater production and marketing um, mm. was the next three years, really. What were some of the big lessons that you took from that time when you were in the thick of that expansion? Um, I think, okay, there's multiple things I could say about that. One is definitely um, don't go too fast. Don't take everything that's given to you. You just can't, right? You just, if you're not really prepared, you need to be super, super prepared. And as much as you want to take on more because it sounds amazing, um, maybe that's not always the best thing. I think secondly, make sure you really have, um, you know, I think you have to have a really incredible team. You, you need to have a team that, you know, knows what they're doing, but um, thinks big picture. And um, so I think it's an interest when you're that size of a company, you're, I think maybe you're not the size necessarily for the person who comes from an Estee Lauder or comes from L'Oreal because they think differently. Mm. They had different needs in different ways. So you still need someone who's very growth oriented, but can still think large. So it's a really interesting stage of the company um, to, to hire, uh, you know, but, but there's a lot of amazing people out there. So it's completely doable. I think that's such good advice, particularly on, not necessarily saying yes to everything because as you've said it sounds great but I also think there can be a bit of a a push there's a bit of a rhetoric that you've got to say yes to every opportunity you've just got to you know grab it while it's there not necessarily I think the things that you say no to can be just as formative yeah I think you need to have a um a pretty solid uh scaling plan. I don't mm. think it needs to be where it's just everything that comes at you. I think you need to have what your plan is. Obviously, always correct it if you need to, like re relook at it. But it it should be doable, not overwhelming and not just because it sounds good, mm. you know. <laughs> the brand is now sold globally. Have you noticed any consumer trends from region to region correct me if I'm wrong but I'd imagine the U.S. market would have been quick adapters particularly California given their you know the interest in health food and natural beauty but are there any other trends that you've noticed as far as sales go um you know it's really interesting October so October recently I went to a lot of different areas um and it's not so different it's really not and yeah, I think more so at the beginning, for sure. Um, but I feel like, uh, I, I don't know, I think this new, at least from our perspective, talking about nutrition, every, I mean, Germany is talking that, you know, they got it, France, uh, London, you know, Australia, like everyone is, is kind of, you know, we're, we all eat, <laughs> for one thing. <laughs> so... You know, and I do think, you know, a kind of not not to give COVID any credit at all, but I do think that opened up the world in a way to looking at things on, on all of us, looking at our health and looking at, um, you know, whatever it is that we're being sold <laughs> all the time and maybe to rethink. Um, and, and, you know, I think every single person I talk to, no matter what, 
has had some kind of inflammation issue or had has dealt with something, we all can relate on that level. So I think everyone's kind of looking at, maybe they're not so far into it, but they're open to listen to it and to understand how our bodies are operating. How does the product development process work for you? When you're conceptualizing a new product, are you working off consumer demand? Are you constantly thinking about what might come next or is it a bit of both? Um, you know, I think it's a, bu- a bunch of things. I think listening always and having conversations always puts your mind in a certain way, right? So there's an mm-hmm. element no matter what that that's there. But I think for us, it's like, I don't like to follow trends necessarily. <laughs> like I just kind of, unless I think it's great. I don't know. I can't think of any that I, I think um, I just, we have such a backlog. I, I don't have a problem with coming up with things at all. Um, I, I'll tell you the, the most recent science I've been most inspired by is everything with the microbiome of the skin. Mm. Um, and how much, so that would be one piece where I'm like listening and I'm like, oh, okay, yes, uh-huh, that makes sense. And that's true. But besides that, there hasn't been too much like that. I think there's still really in, like the mass uh, market is more like still one ingredient focus where it's not about that. I mean, yes, it, it contributes, but it's not that. Um, and you still want to see what you're putting in with that <laughs> to make sure it's still alive. But, um, I, so the process normally is I have like my wish list. So for instance, I'll talk about next year. I'm not going to tell you what just yet because I'm not 100% sure all of it's on target. But there's four. So we have uh, basically four launches a year for the most part. And then we have extra things like holiday and you know whatever. But what we do is I have a product development person and I have a demand planning person. And we kind of just all keep going back and back with the lab and going back and forth and back and forth and back. This is like the wish list. This is the brief go back and forth and back and forth until, and that's why I don't know. Cause like some of these things are kind of like, you know, 75% there, some of them are whatever, but um, I, I don't, we don't, we never have a, I still have a ton of other things we could launch when the time is right. Sometimes I just have a gut feeling the time's not right. I had microbiome mask on my horizon like three years ago. I don't think that would have been the right timing. You know, it just wasn't there yet. So just kind of like shelving things to like pull out when we need to pull out and start to, you know, work on those formulations, maybe update, whatever. I was about to ask how long does the process usually take from ideation through to it hitting the shelves, but I guess it it depends on the product. It depends on when the time's right. It takes a long time. I know some people are like, you know, been working on this for 10 years or whatever it is. I mean, that could be true. Like it doesn't sound like, but it really takes, if you, if you really care and you're really involved in what that is, it takes a long time. This is something. And then you have registration. Yeah. This is something that keeps (laughs) coming up because people that are, that will say, Oh yeah, yeah, I think I might start a brand just kind of willy-nilly I think when they learn how long that process takes they start to rethink it (laughs) by the time it comes out they've changed their mind Mm, completely the brand is built upon applied nutritional sciences for those unfamiliar with your brand what does that mean Yeah, it was really important um, that people, just like it was important not to hang the hat on like a natural product, because that's not what it's about. 
it's also it's important for me there you know there's like brands that are you know they talk about fresh blueberries and you know whatever i'm like that's not what we're talking about here we're not talking about like squeezing up you know blueberry and putting it in a product so it really it's really about the the physiology of how these nutrients all work together and how does our skin heal from that so taking a very holistic approach not just to how we heal in general through food and lifestyle and skincare but in the skincare formulation itself, how do those ingredients all work together? So for instance, um, the vitamin C cream. So we have the, the reishi mushroom with the vitamin C. The vitamin C is a stabilized. There's two, it's through all the research, there's two major stabilized vitamin C. We're using one of them in here. How do I increase that absorption? Because the trick with vitamin C is to absorb it. Because And food does not... Uh, the food that we eat with vitamin C does not go to the skin. So it's really important when people say, oh, well, because it's, you know, uh, we can't, can't absorb it, then, you know, we don't need it. Yes, you do. And it has so much great value. Like the research around what vitamin C does for topically for the skin is incredible. So how do I support it? And how do I, so you don't, you support it by um, not, first of all, bringing down inflammation. If you can bring down inflammation in the skin, you're gonna be able to feed it that much better. So we use something called MSM. Um, we use things, well, first of all, vitamin C is really great for, because it's an antioxidant for the overall health of the skin. Then the reishi mushroom is really good at revitalizing skin and making it healthy. Um, and then we also use colloidal silver, which is really great for the biome so you're keeping them the so we're looking at how do we bring down inflammation and how do we absorb the most of this ingredient deck and how do we heal whatever the problems are that we want and you can't do that you'll you'll see a, you'll see another ingredient deck that has like oh, okay it's got that great vitamin c in it silicone dimethicone like you can't absorb it anyway um and then there's absolutely nothing to bring to support if you eat a vegetable you eat swiss chard for instance it has incredible vitamin C, it has potassium, it has magnesium, it has phytonutrients, it has other things that are known to, to fight cancer. That's, a, that's in one leaf of a vegetable. So skincare should act the same. It's not just that one leaf doesn't just have one thing in it. It has, it should all work together, um, you know, in, in synergy. And they all kind of, so that's looking at that, at that level. That's what that means long story <laughs> no I love it because I was going to ask the vitamin C intensive face cream is kind of a hero product it has this cult following I was going to ask why do you think it has such a cult following but that you've kind of just summed up the whole brand ethos because it's not just about you know slapping an ingredient in there and saying this has vitamin C in it it's about how they all work together for the skin right exactly and I I do think it did I don't think it took a long time for us to to get that um, point of view and and uh, you know point of difference, but um, it also works really fast. So I think that's part of why it it it, it absorbs quickly. You see a difference quickly. Um, and for us being in New York at launch, it was really important for makeup artists to get you know their models mm -hmm. looking fresh faced and out there as soon as possible. So I think. That's part of the word of mouth that started it. I was trying to work out when, because that was definitely the first product from your brand that I tried. And I was thinking that must have been 
maybe 2017, but that was probably when it launched in Australia. Yes, exactly. Early yep. adopter. I'm going to give myself yeah. a pat on the back. <laughs> exactly. You have sat at the helm of your brand for a decade now. Over that time or even just over the last few years, what have been some of the biggest changes that you have seen within the beauty industry? Um, I think this backlash against storytelling that might not be true. Like I think we didn't know better at the beginning and I you see that people are like, nope, I, like, I need more. I, I need to know more. I need to understand more. I need to like, and I think that research and that consumer and i also think um where consume so that's where we've come with that but also there was this what i was saying before about there was like an ingredient thing there, everyone was like a, the ingredient the ingredient well now it's about the benefits right now it's like what does it do for me mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, the ingredients are great and i want to know about them but i really want to know what the end result is going to be so i think there's been this shift which i love by the way because i do love ingredients obviously but again, I believe it's building a hole for what it's going to do for you. That's where the importance is. So I, I definitely see that shift in consumer. Um, and the industry, I think, is just trying to... The biggest change in the industry is social media. And everything is like, that's your marketing, mm. right? Social media, all of a sudden... And I don't think a lot of people know what to do, especially traditional marketers are kind of like, you know, still trying to... And even that is changing all the time so like where do you put your marketing dollars in social media I think it's kind of um it could change on a dime (laughs) for you and what changes I mean good segue what changes do you think we can expect to see from the industry over the next few years um you know I don't know I really don't I think I do think those things are going to keep challenging everyone I think um the consumer demanding like I think you know all the the celebrity backlash with you know just coming out with whatever product and I think there's going to be they're going they should be expecting more of that because I think the consumer especially when it comes I think makeup maybe is still kind of you could it can live over there um but I think for skincare people are looking at it as a healthcare tool more than they ever have and and really, they should, and they should expect that. They really should. I think someone, I think whoever's making it um, should take that time and care because this is your skin. Mm-hmm. This is your, like, it means so much to so many people. Um, and and I think, um, I don't know about social media. You never know. <laughs> that part, I have no clue. I don't know. I, I do think it does even with threads coming out. I'm like, wouldn't that be interesting if everyone kind of just kind of moved over there and Instagram became secondary and just kind of beautiful pictures instead of all of these marks. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? But watch this space. It's something people need to watch. Mm. My final question, what is next for Kat Berkey Skincare? You know, I think um, for me, it's it's really we're, we're building a really strong executive team um, to allow me to be out more, which is mm-hmm. really, you know, where I want to be. I want to be I love going out and, and having, you know, classes with everybody and, and just really kind of spreading the word. And and um, so there's going to be a lot more of that as as our team is um, up and running and, and strong. And I think it's just really going to be uh a lot of work in the microbiome area for me is super interesting. 
um, combining the food aspect and talking about that more is like, I just love that, that intersection. Um, and I think, you know, it's just, you know, we have a lot of great things growth wise happening. So just, you know, we have to just keep going and growing. <laughs> I hope that should be our motto for uh, 2024, but, uh, it's, uh, it's a lot. It's, it's awesome. I love it. I really do. That was Kat Berkey, founder and CEO of Kat Berkey Skincare, which you can find on Instagram at Kat Berkey Skincare. To read more, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. The Glow Journal podcast would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced. We pay our respects to elders past and present.